0: Well, greetings, Exponential family. Welcome back to the Hub. My name is Bill Cochenour, and I'm part of the Exponential team. And it it's my pleasure to welcome you to this uh, special webinar for the new ebook launch, Stronger. And I am uh, genuinely excited to be here with an old friend, one of the people I actually met early on when I came on board with, full time with Exponential a number of years ago. Uh, Brett Andreas, Brett, it's good to good to be with you. Always good to be with you, Bill. You look comfortable where you're out sitting there outside today. Must be nice in D.C. Great. I don't know if you can. can I just lost you somehow. uh, I can hear you now. I can hear you. Can you hear me Okay. Well, while Brett is uh, working on his router there, and uh, I'll let you know that Brett's the, the planter and lead pastor of New Life Christian Church in Chantilly, Virginia, which is a little bit northwest of Washington, D.C. Um, And uh, Brett, are you able to hear me now? Are you are you able to hear me now? All right. Can I hear you now? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Thanks. Okay, I was just just introducing you as the lead. Uh, pastor and actually planter of New Life Christian Church in Chantilly, and uh, one of the things um, I, there are a number of things I love about Brett, but one of the things that I love about Brett is he was committed to be a church planting church from the very beginning, um, and actually because he was committed to it, Exponential exists really, um, and which is which is interesting when you fall follow the call of God's on your life, and even when you don't fully understand it, it's interesting what God. Does with that, but uh, but that your passion actually led to exponential being started, right? Um, I th-
1: I think it's accurate to say. I mean, if you had the if you had the Fergusons on and others, there was a whole bunch that God was certainly doing. Um, but the, our part in it was um, we believed that God was calling us to be a church planting church. And part of starting our next church was bringing Todd Wilson on um, out of the nuclear Navy because, you know, if you're not going to blow up things in the world, what do you do? You uh, become a minister. And so um, Todd came on staff with us to help start that church. That whole process um, is why we're talking actually behind that. That's what's behind this book that we've written, too.
0: Yeah. Well, I really have appreciated your commitment to that. I mean, even now you you your, quote, facility is a Budweiser distributorship. Was it was that it old Budweiser distributorship? It, it used to
1: be. Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. It's it's a place where it but now it's a seven day a week um, athletic facility. And so people say they they we used to be about distributing Six packs. Now you know people are coming in with their kegs and leaving with their six packs. (laughs) You know, so (laughs) yeah, I
0: know some people are disappointed when they come to the keg room and find out it's only keg room and name only from what it used to be. (laughs) But again, that's that's part of your commitment—not only to to embed yourself and be part of the community, but also to contribute resources to church planting. So you set up and tear down every week. Which, uh, yeah think-
1: yeah we do. Um, well and, 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 and part of that is and we'll talk about some of this later on um, in leading the church, it's not our church God builds the church and we we're just asking the question um, what's if God wants to, to make an impact on this community where we are in Northern Virginia, what's the best way for us to use millions of dollars and resources. It's not to have a building where most people feel like outsiders. I've grown up in the church all my life and I feel like an outsider in every church building that I drive past. And so we thought, how do you build a building in a way that people are in the community are using the building so much that when they actually have a sense that they need a pastor, you've already pastored them. They've already, you've already made a connection with them through some kind of relational way. And so, you know, that was, so that was part of it. The other part of it is Northern Virginia, people don't like churches. Um, It's, it is expensive to build buildings. Um, I, I've been here for a lot of, you know, I've been here since 87. And every time a large church building goes up, communities don't want them for a whole bunch of reasons. And so when God made this Anheuser-Busch distribution plant available for us, it just seemed like uh the i mean yeah. it, let's be honest um we're not that smart you know and so it's sort of like we go we follow the direction because we think God's leading us that direction and then he continues to give us some headlights for the next few feet and um and that's kind of how it happened for us and so we're we've been blessed that people in the community are thankful that that were this kind of church with this kind of building. Yeah, good.
0: Yeah, I, I want to get into the book. I mean, those, I think those th- kind of things are important for people to understand. You know, kind of what's behind this, and and even as we, just as we get into the book here, uh, share a little bit about your commitment. I mean, early on, your very first church plant, and you know, just a little bit of the, the struggle there. You know, and the commitment that led to. To sending who you sent at that time, you know, well before even thinking about facilities. I think we might have lost your voice
1: there. Sorry, one of the, one of the great things about God is He chooses uneducated Galileans to do His work. You know, and so the reason, you know, we are all committed to multiplication. We believe that God doesn't just want us to reach a few people, but God wants us to reach people who reach people who reach people into all the world. And and one of the wonderful things, the reason that can happen is because God uses ordinary people who make lots of mistakes so that by his power, his work is done for his honor. And so, um, you know, we began, we've, um, this book, by the way, just grows out of. Um, uh, 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 I wish we could have titled this book "We Made Mistakes," so you don't you don't have to. <laughs> because it grows out of a whole bunch of mistakes. But the one th- couple of things that we did right was we had a, you know, we we believed in um, in that phrase that Peter Wagner coined that there's no more effective means of reaching lost people than starting new churches. And we're committed to reaching lost people. And so, okay, if the best way to do that is start new churches, then we're going to be a church planting church. And one of the things that I heard before I ever church planted was if you don't, according to the studies, if you don't plant within the first three years of your church, you never will. The likelihood is you won't. And that makes lots of sense because the, the um, patterns that you develop are the patterns that you continue. And so, um, and so we were committed from the very beginning and then God provided, we were a church of, Six people, you know, we had 25 in our core before we started. Um, We were not large and yet we were still praying, okay, God provide for us a church planter. And God provided Vince Antonucci to come on staff with us part time. He could have had a job getting paid a bunch of money from a church of about 15,000, but instead came on staff with us and we had raises money. And then after two years, but he came to be a church planter's. And so after two years, Vince said, "I think it's time to go and plant this church in Virginia Beach." And I agreed. I mean, it was it was it was it was difficult to let him go. What was really difficult was that our worship leader was Joe Heilman, who, um, you know, Vince has gone on to write a bunch of books and to be a well-known, you know, popular speaker. Joe um, has gone on to become a well-known. Um, writer songwriter and musician in Virginia beach and 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 Vince comes to me and says oh and by the way Joe wants to go with me too which was two-thirds of our staff That's a horrible position to be in because on the one hand you're thinking I don't know how a church of we were probably 300 at the time I don't know how a church of 300 survives the loss of not just two-thirds of the staff but such high quality we were a team there were people the church was not growing because of of, of me and so um and so the, you know so it's either do i try to hold on to them and disobey god or do i would do we hold them really loosely and let them go and there was a sense even at that time that god was testing our faith hmm. say so how committed are you really to church planting how how committed are you really to reaching lost people are you only committed to it to the degree it works for you to the degree you think you'll get glory or are you committed to following my lead and that act of obedience on the part of the church. And it was on the part of the church. um, God has honored in many ways. And I'm convinced i mean, two of the strongest personalities and leaders that I know, two of the hardest workers, two of the most productive people I've ever known are Vince Antonucci and Todd Wilson. Um, and I'm convinced that God would not have entrusted Todd with us had we not held our hands loosely with Vince.
0: You mentioned that um, if you don't plant within the three first three years, the likelihood is that you won't. And I'm wondering if it's those testing times that you're talking about right there that you just, you know, rationalize, well, if we let's just get a little bit bigger or, or let's just let one of them go right now, that that begins to it, it, it almost like that becomes the the cement that shapes the direction you're headed.
1: Yeah. And and again, more fundamental, even in a sense, to, or I would say not more fundamental, but the fundamental thing to that is not the decision to release them. It is that it is discerning. It is trying to listen to what God is saying and obey him because one of the things, one of the mistakes that I think is being made sometimes is people are chasing narratives now rather than listening to God. There are all these wonderful narratives of how God has planted churches and reached people and started movements and made disciples that, that you, you get in your seminars and in your, in your conferences and in your books and so now people are saying, I want that narrative. And and it wasn't about a narrative. And I, you know, because I, honestly, if you're a church at 300 and you lose and you release two thirds of your staff and it's not God's will, yeah. <laughs> he's not going to bless you with the narrative that you want. You have to be. And again, we were far from perfect. There's more sin in our lives than perfection by and there still is. Um, but um, and I'm not horrible I just mean like bad motives and laziness and stupidity and hurting people's feelings and arrogance or whatever but um, um, but the fundamental to that is hearing God's voice pursuing God and saying I would and and to your point I'm willing to risk if God's it is riskier to to disobey god than it is to play it safe and it's riskier to play it safe and disobey god than it is to take a risk that makes no sense but it's clearly god's leading
0: yeah. uh, that's good so how, how many how many churches has new life and passion for planting
1: planted at this point i mean it's got to be over over 300 not enough is the answer yeah. Um yeah I don't know something something like that in the United States fewer than that but when we count international churches that we've helped yeah. launch and, and um and part of the reason that we differentiate between the two is um is simply the the way that the churches the way you start a church in Nepal yeah is different from, you know, and the way a church is organized in Nepal is different from how people in the United States might imagine a church being organized. I mean, it's a church if they're teaching the apostles doctrine and baptizing and communioning and reproducing, you know, and fellowshipping. Um, But anyway, so that's why we distinguish between the two. But the
0: reason I wanted to bring that up, the reason I wanted to to kind of hear that sort of seminal story, seminal in the sense of the, your first church plant and, and the number of churches you've planted was not to, you know, put you on a platform that you're uncomfortable with, but but to let people know that, you know, a lot of people write books about church planting. But if you're talking about experience, I mean, there's more experience behind what you're sharing and launch stronger than, Many of the other church planting books out there, and so you know, getting into the book itself. Is that like, how would you describe kind of the the main message? What's the heartbeat of of launch stronger?
1: Thanks for asking that. I, I asked. Uh, so, Sean, um, this grows out of our passion for planting ministry, and I'll tell you how that began in a little bit. But um, Sean Cronin is one of our trainers for our church planting residents. And he helped write this book. And and the book really is a collective effort. Um, But I asked Sean, how would you describe it? And I just love what he said. He said... Um, I'd say it is about how disciple making can fuel church planting and church planting movements through the book. We highlight how church planters can personally incorporate disciple making practices into their lives and ministry from day one of the church long before opening day. So often we think of, okay, we're going to get the church started and then we're going to start discipling. I had a meeting. I, I, I was, I was, coaching a church planter last week and they're about they're going to start a church in one state they're living in a different state he's he and his wife and, and he said they're really excited about being a church planting or about a disciple making church i said so who are you discipling this week well we don't move for a month or so i said but, i said <laughs> i said here here's here's lesson number one in discipleship it's not a it's not a a, a switch you turn on and off it is who you are right now there's somebody this week who's not going to hear the gospel unless they hear it from you. Hmm. Who's that person? Who are you talking to? Who are you praying with? Anyway, so that's, that's kind of behind this. He says, what do you do to get a church off the ground? Will influence its culture for the rest of the history of the church. Jesus didn't start a church. He started a multiplying movement of disciples who then started churches. He didn't start by planting a church. He started by making disciples, investing in a few who multiplied to reach the many um so there you have it that's the core of the of the book yeah i love it what was your
0: for you personally what was your motivation in being involved in this project and why why now
1: money fame and and world conquest (laughs) (laughs) um like i said before um (laughs) one of the ways you redeem pain is by helping others not experience it <laughs> or helping others who are going through it. And so um you know we we when new life got started I didn't know all the questions to ask. So we started in 1980 in 1992 I started working on the church. We we actually launched in 93 and Robert Logan's book was out there and a couple of other things, but I remember thinking, I don't, I know I'm missing questions that need to be answered. And I know I'm not even answering the questions that I do know correctly. Mm -hmm. You know? And so after starting the church in Virginia beach, we said, okay, we got to start it. I mean, the, the morning that that launched, we said, we're, we believe God wants us to start a church in Loudoun County. And so we went forward to that process and, Part of that process was to hire Todd Wilson as executive pastor, because I thought if we're going to if we're going to plant multi site, if we're going to continue to plant more, we need somebody with that kind of, you know, I'm a preacher. I'm not a detail person and we need a detail person. We need somebody who can think that way. And so Todd comes on staff. And one of the first things we do is sit down in my basement, and and Todd says, "So let's come up with all the things that you did to start this church." And I showed him my little whiteboard with Post-it notes on it. Now Todd has been designing Los Angeles class submarines and running nuclear power plants that are, you know, uh, fixing nuclear um, uh, nuclear subs and, and and nuclear aircraft carriers and he looks at that and he's just not terribly impressed. <laughs> and yeah. So and so we sit in my basement for a couple of days and we come up with all of the questions that need to be asked to start a church. And I think by the time we were done with it we had come up with like 500 and some and then it increased to 600 and some questions. And we used that to start this church in Loudon County. Now the deal with those questions, the deal with a list is it's not giving the answers. You know, God's doing a new thing in each church, Mm -hmm. but the questions are that need to be answered are the same. And so then we use that and we started going to these church planting organizations saying, hey, does anybody have a project management list like this? And everybody's like, no, but it sure would be helpful to have one. And so. Out of that, we developed um, a thing called Passion for Planting that that helps. I mean, the stuff we make a lot of this stuff available for free, just because we're about starting new churches. And um, you know, there's like every country in, or certainly every continent in the world, other than Antarctica, we're still appealing for Antarctica people to use our stuff. But um, but so lots of it is for free. But our goal was. we you know we realized a lot of pa- most pastors who are called to ministry are not called to be project managers most church planters are not even primarily leaders most of us called to leadership in the church are primarily preachers and teachers and yet we're responsible for doing all this detail stuff and so what we also found in the process of helping new churches is that a lot of these churches were focused, these church planters were just focused on the wrong things. And so they were getting, we were helping churches when we were, when we were a um, marketing organization, we were helping churches have big first Sundays and, and not having healthy launch teams, not having healthy systems and stuff in place. And so, and so we thought what we really need to do is help these church planters focus on what they need to focus on, which is, which is, um, people evangelism um, discipleship and help them so they don't have to focus on the stuff that's not their strength but is is a torpedo in their bow if they don't you know if if they don't have it and so and so that's why, you know, we, we developed Patch for Planting. This book grows out of those questions, out of that project management approach. And again, the book doesn't answer a lot of questions. It's really designed to help people think about the questions. And so, again, just for what it's worth, um, if people want some reference. So we've, we do have project managers who work with churches on this when stadia first started a lot of people are, have heard of stadia um all of our church plants were the stadia or well a lot of our about 80 percent of the church plants were all of stadia's church plants and at one point when they decided to to take everything internally we gave them our processes we gave them our church planters our, our project management project managers and then so what they're doing is a version of what actually todd todd created i'm not sure anybody else is offering that. But the whole idea is we have made mistakes. We don't want you to have to, there are questions you need to answer. You have to come up with the answers. When our project managers help, they there's some that we do, but a lot of the stuff we just help help these churches do by giving them objectives, deep de- deadlines, um, materials that they need to come up with. Yeah. So, yeah, So I the book, that. The book is more of a primer. It's not an encyclopedia with answers. Go
0: ahead. Good. I was just going to ask Brooke, Brooks, if you would put the, the link to that book um, to launch stronger uh, so that people have that uh, there. I, I want to come back to something you said earlier that uh, really intrigued me. Uh, let see if I can get it right. You said that it's, it's riskier to do something that makes sense, but isn't what God wants than it is to do what is clearly God's will, but seems risky um and and throughout the book you you talk about the no, number one competency of a church planter is the ability to hear god's voice and talk, i mean the, the systems i i, I don't know of anybody that has any more thorough you know outline of the systems and all of that too but this is this is another piece that i think that maybe we miss so talk a little bit about that why do you say that's the number one competency for a church planter
1: um i i think that sometimes uh, first of all i would i would encourage everybody not to see them in opposition to each other i think that church leadership and is in church health is always a train that's running on two tracks the one track is our responsibility that god has placed given to us the other track though is god's power god's wisdom god's you know uh what god is doing um and sometimes the temp well in the den the the danger in our in every generation is to rely on the flesh and not on God. But Jesus said, I build the church. I remember early in the church with new life, I kept going back to the Psalm that says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who work labor in vain. And there've been many times that I've thought, I don't know how to lead this church. Um, You know, I'm not smart enough to lead this church where it needs to go. I'm not smart enough to lead this church to be a multiplying church. But I don't have to be. I just have to be close enough to God to hear what he wants me to do today. Hmm. And maybe what he wants me to do today is preparation for something he's wanting me to do in five years from now. But the focus is still... God, what do you want me to hear today? And I will obey you today so that you will build the church for what you want it to be. You know, um, Paul says that God is able to do through us more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power that is work within us. But if the work that we're doing is only what we can ask and imagine because it's in our brains, it's in or what often is what, what happens so often is that's hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm not I'm not don't confuse to think that I do this perfectly or think that I do, but I know it's the right approach that God has blessed. Um, but if all we're doing is reading other people's books and going to other people's seminars and seeing what God has blessed other people to do, and then saying, Well, it worked work for them, therefore it's gonna work for us, and therefore we put our trust in the flesh. Um, God is really glad not to bless our trust in the flesh. So, you know, John 10, 27, you know, Jesus, after saying, I am the good shepherd says my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to lead the church. Say, okay, God, what do you want to, you are the good shepherd. It's your church. You build the church. You build it by your power. Help me to hear what you want me to do, and I will do it. Part of this grew out of the aha for me came when I was, when we went through time, and our, it's our building process, actually. We'd gone through a point, we had a land and a building planned for one area of the city, and and all we kept running into were walls. You know, and, and the plan was, I mean, the vision was, a building that the community could use that we could, we, you know, I used to say, if you're going to spend $10 million on marketing, it had better be to reach lost people. And there's no bigger marketing tool that any church has than their building. And so, I mean, other than their people, of course, but the, um, and so God kept saying, no, 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 no. And after about five years of that, I had this, really sobering moment of okay god am i just am i just sanctifying my own voice you know i'm really critical of you know in fact the bible tends to be critical of prophets who claim that they're speaking god's voice when it's really their own voice and i'm not above that and i thought you know i keep saying this is your vision this is your vision this is your vision i think it's your vision i have thought it was your vision but lord am i wrong you know, it, it, are you saying no, because you really don't want us to do this. And it's just been my idea. And I thought at that moment, you know, if if I don't if I can't hear God's voice for his vision for this church in the future, I'm done here. Because um, because if, if God stops talking to me about what he want, where he wants his church to go, somebody else needs to lead it. Now, fortunately, we had good elders who said, no, this is God's vision. We're going to keep moving forward. And that really was, in a sense, a satanic attack that became a test. But but that also gave me confidence that, you know what, if it is God's vision, I just need to obey. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I really respect how... Todd and Dave Ferguson will sit down at lunch i i I, I know I've sat down at their in their dinners together. this was years before exponential and they're talking and they're envisioning and they're talking about multiplication and all this stuff and I'm just thinking, I need a good sermon illustration for Sunday. you know I'm just really thankful that people can think like that but um but you know what I can do? I can be like the disciples who just listen for God's voice next. And what's really important about that is that's, that can be multiplied, that can be reproduced. Todd Todd's ability to strategize, Dave, Dave Ferguson's abilities are, are uh, I mean, that, that kind of vision isn't reproducible, but the simple, the simple is. And so-
0: and Yeah, I wonder about the, you know, the last 13 months or so, I feel like part of the reset that God has used this this time. I wonder if, you know, and just thinking broadly here, but I wonder if a lot of we were in the mode of you know planning services and you know, sermon series or whatever you know, and asking God to bless that and trusting, you know, where this last 13 months has been way more about God, if you're not in this, we, you know, it's not gonna happen. And like we don't know, and and I you know, I'm, I feel like that's been part of the reset, and part of the reset. I hope we don't lose as we begin to move back into sort of—I don't want to say normal, you know, or you know what it was because I don't. Know, but you know what I mean.
1: Well, you're you're entrepreneurial enough to love the change, and wow, what the great opportunities we must have because of this change. I get that, I'm, and, and I'm I'm there with you. Um, I—it's been wonderfully freeing. Though, um, to be forced to change your metrics. Hmm. I was on a call a few weeks ago with a group of ministers, all from larger churches than mine. I mean, these these churches that are thousands. And and one guy who's leading says, Now nobody knows how many people come to your church anymore. (laughs) And I just thought, You know, because we don't. Right you know how many and 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 I thought isn't that wonderful so what do we have to do what do you measure when you don't know how many people come to your church because they're not coming on Sunday morning anymore you measure who's being discipled mm-hmm. who do you know who's actually being discipled by somebody who's being baptized right i how do you know who's who's with you you can count people who are making professions of faith and being baptized um and and candidly you can count money still where your treasures their there your heart will be also so who do you have that's really committed to the church what 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 are your finances telling you about the heart of things and so it has been wonderfully freeing hasn't it to say I can't focus on how many people are coming on Sunday morning we're going to do the best that we can and we're going do we're gonna try to track as many people as we can on Sunday morning but we can't measure that. Because we don't know what we're measuring, but we can measure who's discipling, who's in discipleship, who's being baptized, and what are the finances
0: yeah you you, actually chapter one you you say consider this two churches start church number one launches or 300 people experiences little to no conversion growth church number two starts with 50 people 20 of whom didn't know jesus previously but do now which plant do you consider more successful which and then the other really kind of poignant question is which church reflects your vision and and we have had that taken away so it is i think you're right i think i can see where it would be freeing and to live into that my fear is that as we get back to weekend gatherings being more common, that how do we, how do you, how do we keep the focus on the fact that it is how many people are being discipled, which, which may run, which means some of the efforts to do that, some of the leadership capacity resources that go into that, that could have gone into, you know, bigger weekend gatherings. How do you, how do you stay focused on on, on making disciples like
1: that. Yeah. And, and I mean, the question of how do you measure the win is always in front of us. And the first measure of the win is, is my heart close to the heart of God? Um, the, because if our hearts close to the heart of God, we're going to measure what God measures, whether the church of 300 or the church of 50 is the better church. Really the, that's a, that is a, what does God say? Hmm. If God's will for you is to start the church and you have 300 people and he's going to use that to reproduce disciples who make disciples who make disciples, wonderful. But don't measure the 300 people as the measure itself. And th- and that's the same thing. If you, you know, if, if you've, if you've, if God's led half of your people to Christ in the, I mean, that, uh, you know, praise the Lord, and yeah. so um you know I was reading I was reading the life of Jerome, a little bit of the life of Jerome last night, and here's a guy who writes the Vulgate. Here's a guy who we continue to quote to this day, whose translation of the Bible is still used as a a, a translation that is affecting translations today. And as he faces execution, he says, I know my life doesn't mean much. Hmm. And he means by, or is not significant in terms of the, you know, in terms of what really matters in terms of what God's work is. In that sense, you know, that, that was so humbling. I thought here's somebody we quote today and he's saying, you know, all that matters, God's will being done. Hmm. Uh, God, the, the church being God's church lost people being saved and i think that um so i think it begins there how how do we keep it rightly focused it's when we focus on okay god what do you want to do how do you measure the win here you know and it's measured by again i think it's measured by how many lost people are being reached and how many people how how are you seeing the fruit of the spirit Uh, more rapidly produced and reproduced you know and so the um and and not get caught up in i mean let's 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 be honest we all want to feel loved and um and i think part of the drive for numbers is if there are more people who know me or listen to me I must be loved more. And we can all fall into that, you know? And so it's the Lord help me to be content in your love for me and in your call for me. And if it's a call to, to reach 50 people in China who are going to then end up reaching a whole bunch more people, then that's great. If it's a call to reach, you know, 10,000 people in Africa, then that's great. But Lord obedience to you is how I want to measure the win.
0: That's well said. We, uh, you know, we talk about five levels of multiplication, and that magnet at level three—that many of the things that make you a great level three church become the very things that make it difficult to move yeah. to four and five. And and so when yeah. a lot of times when I share that, and and people say, well, what you know, how do we how do we get beyond? Do, how do you move there? And and one of the shifts that we talk about is the the shift in the scorecard. And and I like how you, you said you can't just pick another scorecard, but really seeking the Lord and, and God, what is, what's your scorecard for this church? What is, what are the things that you'd have us focus on that you have invest uh, us, invest our energies in that you'd invest our, our, our time, our, our energy. And uh, yeah, it was well said. See,
1: the, well, the, 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 the great commission is, is such a wonderful Obviously, I'm sure Jesus appreciates me appreciating His commission, but affirmation. Um, I'm sure you always the affirmation. Um, but um, it's easy for us to focus on one side of the scorecard or other. Go into make, go into all, the, go go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the faith, and I will be with you always. Um, there's a big vision and a small vision. The big vision is we got to have movements that are making disciples, all nations. That is the definition of churches, planting churches, planting churches, but it doesn't begin there. It begins with go make a disciple who makes a disciple, you know, and I've, I I, see, there's enough pride in me that people who've, loved me and cared for me enough have called it out in me. When I was in college, I remember having, you know, thinking "What big vision, big vision, big vision. First Thessalonians, and a friend who said, Brett, you know what big vision is? First Thessalonians 4.11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands, just as you were told, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and you won't be dependent on anybody. Um, and I love the vision for I, I know the vision for exponential is Jesus' vision of multiplication to go into the world, to make disciples, to have the greatest impact that we can have. And so we talk a lot about movements and movements and movements, but movements are driven by love for lost people.
0: Yeah.
1: Movements are driven by make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. And so, but, and, but the thing is when, well, Bill Bill Smith, I don't know anybody who's led more disciple making movements than Bill Smith. And one of the reasons I respect him so much is because nobody knows about him, even though he's behind so many disciple making movements. Um, I was with him one time when he was teaching um, disciple making movement leaders in Europe and just as a small retreat. And they asked him, um, um, so what's the key? Bottom line it, they said, when we leave here, this, what's the most important thing we can leave? If we're going to reproduce disciples and lead movements, he said, love God more every day and see the world through his eyes. He said, if you love God more every day and see the world through his eyes, you're going to love lost people and he's going to lead you to lead movements. But if the ambition, see, my ambition is I want to lead a movement. You know, I yeah. want to make, I want, I want to have a multiple, I want to have a, I want to have a start a whole bunch of church. You say, how many, you say, Brett, how many churches have y'all started? And my first thought is, well, Ying Kai has started 450,000 churches and they don't even know. And that's a small number. No, that's not the whole number. So not as many as Yang way below Yang, you know? And so that's what I want to be saying. So it's like, no folk, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life,
0: Yeah.
1: you know? Reach lost people who reach lost people and say, God, now make movements out of see, exponential happens because Todd Wilson, I didn't have a desire to start exponential, but I did have a desire to help Todd Wilson discover what God wanted to do with his life. You know? And so when Todd would say, Brett, I'm a nuclear engineer. I don't know what I would do with my what do I do in ministry? I was like, Todd. You love God. You love the church. You have so much giftedness. I don't know, but God does. And that kind of small focus, God does more than we could ask or imagine.
0: That's beautiful. I want to, I want to hit a couple other things here before we run out of time. Um, You, you are a a self-confessed preacher and that's what you brought to the, to the system. But in this book um, you don't write a lot about, Preaching in the role of disciple in a disciple-making church. What what role do you see, like what what role do you see preaching has in a disciple in in, in a church that's focused on making disciples? You know,
1: Bill. Um, whenever people do interviews like this, um, sometimes I I, I fear. Taking myself too seriously. And so I just am so snarky right now. It's kind of like, well, you know, my view is I think the preacher's the most important thing in the whole deal. So, you know, pay me more. It's sort of the nature of our relationship. Really. <laughs> At any rate, um, um, the first thing I would say is to see your role as preacher as um, discipling and facilitating discipling and and fueling discipling. Um, Again, I I go back to just the basic. um, The most important question we can always ask is, what's the best way to love? Mm -hmm. The most important question the preacher has to ask, or the pastor, or the leader of the church, how can I love the church uniquely in a way that God has called me to, has wired me to? And so... Um, I can say personally, nothing has discipled me more than preaching and teaching. Hmm. Other things have discipled me as much. But when I was a kid, I listened to sermons all the time. I, and I know I'm probably weird in this way, but I listened to seminars all the time. I'd wash the car, listen to seminars. I would throw a baseball against a wall listen to seminars i'd wake up in the morning i'd listen to i mean and it's just because i don't know it was the way i did devotions or something and and so since god changed me through that i think he probably does others as well and it's and so i just want to honor him in that um so i value the power of preaching part of the reason i value the power of preaching by the way is because people think it's a weak method I, I love it when people say the worst method of discipleship is preaching and teaching. And I'm thinking, and the worst way to save the world is through the baby, a baby and a cross. Isn't it amazing how God hits home runs with crooked sticks? Yeah, It's not an original with me. So, so it's like, okay, God has given me, let's argue, let's say for sake of argument, preaching and teaching is the weakest. Well, God's given me the weakest gift, and so I'm going to do the best that I can with that. Okay. Second, though, um, preaching encourages discipleship. You can preach in a way that makes people dependent on you and impressed with you, or you can preach in such a way that people are driven to be disciples. The, there's no more effective way of growing personally than reading the Bible personally, right? and reading the Bible with other people. And so when you preach, so I used to preach in a way that would want, I would want people to listen to me and be persuaded. Now, my first goal in preaching is for people is to open the Bible for people. So they want to read the Bible on their own. A win for me is when people say, I love the book of Habakkuk. I love first Thessalonians. You know, I love song of Solomon's I've not done song of Solomon yet, but because it scares me, but the, um, you know, and so you preach in a way, there's a whole, di- are you preaching so people will be persuaded by your preaching or so that people will be excited about the Bible? And there is, and then in, in your preaching, you're casting vision as well. Um, I um, Can I ask you to talk for just a couple of minutes? Sure. I apologize. I'll
0: be right back. No, that's right. Um, as, as Brett's, uh, just before Brett comes back, one of the things that I wanted to mention is we talk about the five levels of multiplication at Exponential. We really want to be careful to, um, to acknowledge the power of the gospel. So if if you're a level one, level two church, um, don't be embarrassed about uh, the power of the gospel. is no less um, meaningful, no less powerful. Uh, regardless of of what level you might be at in fact uh, because the vast majority of churches are level one level two most of us come to faith in level one level two churches it's about um, it is about though reshaping a paradigm and and helping us to understand and maybe maybe hear God's voice um, a little bit a little bit differently and so um, I would encourage you to um, to look into the the five levels that that we talk about there uh, but again not to to demean any individual church for um, for a particular for a particular level because it is the the power of the gospel and uh, and I appreciate uh, Brett and and I appreciate his humility. You know, one of the other shifts that we talk about um, to move beyond the magnet at level three is hero maker, and and that idea of moving from a um, a hero posture to a hero maker posture and and I'm hoping that's part of what you're picking up. From Brett uh, as well too, in 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 wanting to to share what they've written here that comes from uh, an abundance of experience, an abundance um, in uh, certainly in, with respect to the U.S. church and church planting, um, but but there is there is um, a lot of uh, credibility that comes uh, with that. Um, just before we leave that so I, I got a couple other questions that I want to be sure we get to, but just before we leave that. Um, do you in, in is there do you see a scenario where a lead pastor would not be discipling people, would not be actively discipling people? I, I, you know. And, and I've, so I'm going to be vulnerable here. I've said this and you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. And, you know, I'm being vulnerable because I know you're going to tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, but I've said if, if the business of the church ever grows to the point where a pastor is not personally discipling, discipling people and doesn't have meaningful relationships with people that don't know, don't yet know Jesus, then the business of the church has gotten too big. So how, what part of that is right? What part of that is wrong?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think there is a way to pastor a church without being a disciple, and that is by being a hypocrite. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just can't. If the, if, yeah, go and make disciples of all nations. Um, we Part of the reason we make disciples, the, the reason we ought to be motivated to is because of love for God and love for lost people. But it's sheer obedience, yeah. And it, the basic is obedience. You cannot, follow, if you are a disciple of Jesus, by definition, you're discipling somebody else. Mm-hmm. And you're not a disciple if you're not disciple. I mean, I, I hope this doesn't sound too condescending, but I don't know how somebody can consider themselves a disciple if they're not discipling somebody else. If Jesus said, "Go and make disciples of all nations," and it's a command, it's not just a commission. He says, as the father has sent me, so send I you. You know, Vince Antonucci has a great line. He said, Jesus wept over lost people. Mm. If we sometimes are not weeping over lost people, Mm. our hearts aren't as much like Jesus as we'd like to believe. I like to sing songs and feel like I'm close to Jesus, Mm -hmm. but the real test of my closeness to Jesus is my heart for lost people and for making disciples. How in the world can I say, I'm being harsh now, but how in the world can I say I'm following Jesus? If, if disciple making isn't, if being a disciple is not the core of my identity. And so, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, um, yeah, how how do you parse disciple making
0: and evangelism? Like some people see those two things, oh. some people see it as one. How how
1: do you how do you approach it? Okay. The, the way the way we teach it at New Life is, um, and it's not completely original with me, but partially. Four Cs. If the big universal C is celebration, we exist to honor God, we exist to delight in God, and for Him to delight in us. Then the inside you have a sea of cause. The church is a cause. That means we're an army. Our causes to reach lost people. We have a cause to reach the lost people. But we're also a community. As a community, and it interlocks with the cause. We're a family. Who matters most in the the who who matters most in the cause? The lost person. Who matters most in the family? It's the child who needs to be fed and nurtured and matured and grown. And then released to reproduce. But they're intertwined, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you reach the lost, and they immediately become part of the family, and they're nurtured and reproduced. Sometimes people are, sometimes it's the family that is reaching the lost but then they need to be sent out for the cause very quickly and then and then we're a corporation is the third c there you know that, i know it's a dirty word but it comes from the word from the same word we get the word corpse body we're the body of christ there's nothing dirty about the corporate side of the church as the body of christ we have systems just like god has given our body systems systems and organization are not dirty words at least i Hope not. I guess there is one system that's a little bit dirty, but I mean, the excremental one. But the um, but uh, but but the purpose of the corporation is not to have a good look in a corporation. The purpose of the corporation is for the cause to be advanced and for the family to be healthy so that God is honored and so there's not a, it's not an either, or it's a both. And, and as they work together, we accomplish the purposes for which God has made us and the way he's designed us. So that's how I teach it in 90 seconds.
0: i I got, I've got two other questions that I want to ask you. Um, um, let, let me do this one first. So you mentioned in chapter two, Every believer is a disciple. Every disciple, disciple maker. Every disciple maker's home is a potential church. Are you? Um, and, and, and I think you're right. You know, thinking about the systems that you just talked about, and and I, I systems are not evil unless unless we put our faith in those. And I guess right. it, that doesn't really make the systems evil. It's just our approach to the to the systems. In in looking in that statement, are you? Like, do you see churches being, as disciples make disciples, planting churches in their homes and then maybe a simpler form of church? Or do you see that as a, as a viable way of church planting, I guess?
1: Um my friend bill smith says one reason he thinks that disciple make movements haven't happened as much in the west is because we immediately go to forms and systems and strategies and god doesn't Hmm. i mean the the answer to the question if, if you want to start a church in nepal you're gonna have both. You're gonna have some churches that are. I, 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 it was the last time I made a trip was notable. That's why this in the in my mind. They have churches in their cities that you would look at and say that's a that's a good healthy disciple making church like you would expect. But then you drive out into the Himalayas, where in into the mountains, where people live, distant long distances from each other. Um, it those churches do not look like churches that we think of um again i think the focus doesn't need to be we need to think about what's it mean for me to be obedient to jesus and lord how would you build this church through me and be open to everything but to think um i mean honestly you're part of a church in my opinion that very few people are capable of doing, but that's great. That's what they need to do. You know, what, 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 um, what was done at Saddleback is great because he's doing what God has called him to do. You know, what, um, what they're doing in the, with the Timothy initiative in India and Nepal is wonderful. That's what God's called him to do. What Yin Kai did in 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 China, what the churches are doing in Japan, that's great. So, um, this is what I know if you disobey God, He's not going to bless it. It doesn't matter if you have a small strategy or a big strategy. The question is, what does it mean for me to be obedient to God and to follow His lead? And again, I, c- c- candidly, I wish we would get, be less fixated on if we can just latch on to this new strategy, this new system, this new organizational approach, that's the, um, God can use any of them if we're being obedient to him. Yeah. Okay. So I, I know that sounds like an evasive answer, but I'm, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, I grew up in a time. Started leading the church in a time when, like, anyway, like Willow Creek was the answer. You know, we need to do it the Willow Creek way. Saddleback is the answer. We need to do it the Saddleback way, kind of thing. And and um, and 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 here, Bill, here's here's my concern. I um in the nineteen eighties. We were really critical of the church of the sixties and seventies and fifties and sixties and seventies, because they were building a church based on the past. If we start building the church based any church that's built on what was done yesterday is built on the past. And God is not a church of the past. He's the church of today and tomorrow. How do we know what he's going to do today and tomorrow? How do we know that we're, how are we going to be, God knew the pandemic was coming. Who are the churches most ready for the pandemic? The churches who'd listened to God. And and so God had prepared them for the pandemic when they didn't realize that God was preparing them for the pandemic. That was one of the ahas for us at New Life. It's kind of like, wow, we weren't perfectly ready, but, it made sense. The stuff that God was doing with us in discipleship that made us more ready for the pandemic than we realized we needed to be. And so I would encourage people learn systems and strategies and then obey. Who is he, who is your community? You have to be a cross-cultural evangelist. You have to be a missionary of your community, exegeting your community and applying God's wisdom to your community. But, um, but not getting wrapped up in what's what approach is going to be the best approach. So yes, if it's a, if it's a church that, if God wants to start a church in a built in a, in a house, because that's the best way to do evangelism. Wonderful. But it may not be too,
0: you know? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that sometimes we look at systems and uh, and they become a box You know, it's kind of like you build this box and you allow the Holy Spirit to work in there as opposed to to platforms. You know, when I first got to know Ralph Moore, you know, some people would say, well, he doesn't have systems. Well, you listen to Ralph and he has systems, but his systems are subservient to what the Holy Spirit's doing. They're there to serve what God's what God's doing.
1: Ralph is a great example about how God calls a man and then that man follows God. Yeah. You know, Ralph's ambition was never to start a multiplying movement. Right. You know, his ambition was he's a man who loves God and is completely dependent on God and is so humble. And God has used him to do amazing things more than he could ever ask or imagine. Mm-hmm. And again, I would say if God is going to do more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power that it was work within us then it's going to be something you haven't seen before because you can imagine everything that you've seen, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so that's, I, 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 I'm not against any of it. But, I, yeah.
0: No, it's good. I think it, and tying that back to some, what you said earlier, the importance of hearing God's voice and that being the number one. Uh, yeah for a church planner. We have time for one more question that, that I really want to get to, because over the last 13 months or so, man, I've, I've been asked this question so many times, so many different ways of, you know, where, when, you know, when the pandemic struck and doing church the way we were used to doing was so disrupted, there were a lot of, I mean, dozens, if not hundreds of pastors denominational network leaders that thought they were making disciples that weren't um and now are realizing that what advice would you have for a pastor who realizes and we 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 thought we were making disciples it's clear from this last year that prior to that we weren't but we want to we want to make the changes that we need to make and and what, what advice would you have for them? Maybe that's even born out of what would you do differently now if you were planting new life?
1: Uh, my advice to them would be, of course, to hire Todd Wilson. And if they can't hire Todd, to hire Todd and Dave Ferguson, because that would answer all of their questions. Um, the, um, but you'd have to pray about it first. Yeah, well, sure. I, I, actually, you don't. That's why you don't have to pray about it. <laughs> it's clearly God's will. Um you know, I, I was reading of a church outside Nashville that has had a thousand baptisms since December. And, and as the minister was talking about it, he said, see that they, um, what they're doing and offering invitations and, and what guys, he said, it began with him spending a lot of time in silence, listening to God. Hmm and again god wants to do an amazing thing through you one of the things one of the things that we um that it's easy to forget is that god doesn't need us he is sovereign we're his children why has he called us to be part of his work because he wants us to love him and to know his love Mm. and so all of the, I know one of the things that's happened for me in church planting and disciple making and all the frustration, it is just, it drives you to God. Yeah. God, I can't do this. And God, I thank you that you love me so much that you've called me. And now sometimes you use me and God, you've provided for me. And, um, and so, um, so my first advice would be um let God dig your own cisterns. Don't drink out of other people's cisterns. Listen to God and and let him do a new thing through you. The next thing I would say is focus small. Who will you reach this week? Who will you share with this week? What are those when as new life tried to turn things around, Um, with this a couple of years ago, I realized I have to run with the runners. So Lord provide for me, who are the runners that are going to run with me? You know, it's that, and we could, we could analyze it and do the whole bell curve and to say, you know, you always have your early adopters. God, who are my early adopters? And here's the great thing. Just like Jesus says, you sow the seed broadly. Some of your early adopters are not people you would have chosen. And so, you know, and so start small, work with your runners, and then I would say, um, work fast. as soon as people are baptized, get them sharing with others. I think one of the one of the mistakes that we make is we um, and for whatever variety of reasons, and maybe it's a tr- lack of trust with the Holy Spirit, we, think people need to be taught too much before we release them again my friend bill smith says people are never more obedient than when they're still wet out of the baptistry so and they're also no no more joyful yeah so as soon as they're led to christ you say who do you need to share with who do you know and we all know the people who are most who, who have the most Connections with lost people are people that are lost. right? And so immediately turn those people around and say, now I will help you. Who are you going to talk to to share what you've just done, what you've just experienced? You know, the joy of the Lord uh, is what people need to hear today. People, it used to be, you know, in the seventies, if you die tonight, are you going to go to heaven? Do you know where you're going to go? People aren't impressed by that. Now we don't live in a death culture. People live in a joy culture. They want joy. And there's a hunger for that right now and a hunger for peace. And so get them sharing the joy of their salvation. And then what happens This is an old communist technique the communists would say okay you've just become a communist here go send go pass out these techniques on the street go pass out these brochures on the street corner and what's that do well it forces them to answer questions it forces them to understand what they believe and so um so that's what i would say i would start small start with your own discipleship run with the runners and then as people are you know, I love to say there there are no no discipleship problems in your church that can't be solved by two hundred baptisms this week. <laughs> you know, just think what happens when people start getting baptized and people start baptizing their friends. All of a sudden, a whole bunch of new problems have to be answered and fixed, and that's wonderful. You know, so but it begins with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's it's it's. I'll share this in in closing. But one of my favorite stories is Chinese. Pastor comes to the United States, true story visits a whole bunch of mega churches. And on his way to the airport, his host asks him, So, what'd you learn about the church by observing all these mega churches in America? He said, It's amazing how much can be done without the power of God. Wow. And so, my prayer has been, You know, God may your power be at work within us. I've seen, we've started a whole bunch of churches and, and they're, I've been disappointed too many times when I've walked into churches that are doing everything technically correct. And I leave feeling, but where's God's power mm-hmm. where are decisions being made, where are lives being changed. And it's like, okay, Lord, we need both. We need your power and we need our, our wisdom and our obedience and our, our methods. Um, you know so i would follow god's leading and lean into his power
0: that's and that's what i love about the book is that you you honor the systems but don't put them in a place um, you you be place them that's subservient to the way god is leading someone and that's that's really powerful at exponential you know our um, our whole focus theme coming up here is empowerment and just in our recognition that all of the systems all of the that while good without the power of the holy spirit is is um, yeah is just not going to get the job done um, good to be with you
1: thanks always, thanks always that. good to be with you my friend never talk yeah. can't talk to you enough
0: we, we and it's been a while it's been a while since we've had a chance to, yeah. to talk I, I look forward to catching up again. And and thank you all to, uh, for joining us here in the Hub. Uh, check out the schedule. There are some amazing, um, I really think, perhaps second to you version, the Hub is the best free Christian resource. It, literally, you know, I mean, it, it really is amazing. So take advantage of that. But thanks for joining us today. Um, Brett, good to see you, bud. Good to see you too. Talk to you soon.